And so I Googled that name, and I found a huge website and big stores that are in places like Las Vegas and overseas. And I looked for the single buckle leather shoe that I had purchased, and I found it, and it was over $2,000. And it's the pair of shoes I'm wearing right now, actually. Um, I don't know if you consider clothes a treasure, but some people do. Um, or you could be like Mr. Peter Watling in 1992. He lost a hammer in a field. This is what's called uh, the Hoxney Horde. This is in Hoxney, Suffolk, 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 something like that, United Kingdom. And he went and he had a friend come with him with a metal detector to look for this hammer. And they didn't find it at first. Instead, he found an old oak chest. And inside of this oak chest, there was a collection of spoons and gold jewelry. There were coins dating back to the 3rd and 4th and the 5th century. And so they had hired more people to come and help them, some archaeologists who continued to find more treasures in the field, even um, some old Roman ladles and serving bowls. And the British Museum wanted to purchase all of it, and they were able to purchase it with the help of the National Art Collection Society, and they were able to buy all the goods, estimated about $3.8 million, and the hammer was found, and even the ball-peen hammer is in the museum today. That is in 1992. Treasures. What kind of value do you put on things? There was a shepherd boy, a Bedean shepherd near the Dead Sea that was herding his sheep one day and he tried to fend off a wolf or some kind of predator from attacking his sheep. And so he picked up a rock and he threw it at the animal. And when he threw the rock, the rock pummeled down the hill and went into a hole and he heard a crash. And later that day, he and a friend, a cousin, I believe, went into that hole, which was actually a cave. And the crashing that he had heard was from an old pottery, an old pottery vase. And inside this, this pottery, there were these scrolls. And these scrolls were known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he sold them very cheap, and finally someone who got a hold of them from buying it from a person, from buying it from another person, uh, realized what they had had, and it was the original, one of the original scrolls of the book of Isaiah. And that was what's known as Cave Number 4, had the opportunity to drive that region. And there are caves all along the hillside as you drive for miles. And they have numbers of the caves, caves 1 through 11. I think they're at Cave Number 12 or 13, but we were actually benefited to go into one of the caves. No guards were there. No security was there. We were able to crawl, or not crawl, but walk up a steep hill, kind of rocky, and we were able to take pictures inside this cave, this church family that went. And this was one of the caves, I believe it was cave number 11, where they found the, the longest scroll known as the Temple Scroll. And those are counted as treasures Priceless treasures, something that you cannot put a value on. 
treasures that you cannot buy with any kind of income, something of great worth. The best part about treasure finding is the low cost, little or at no cost or at minimal effort sometimes to obtain. What luck people have in finding treasures. Some people stumble upon a treasure or were part of the search party and were blessed just because of association, because a treasure was found and they were blessed. There was no cost. There was no effort, maybe just minimal effort. But this story that we read in the Bible is a little different than that because this gentleman is in a field. We don't know why he's there. We don't know where he's going. But he finds a treasure. And he just doesn't grab the treasure, take it, and sell it. But the Bible says he finds this treasure. And immediately he recognizes it's of great worth. This treasure is going to impact him like nothing he has ever found before. So maybe he was lost or maybe he lost something. Who knows why he was in the field. But the biggest point that is made in this scripture is that he found a treasure. I like how the Bible doesn't say how old the individual is. I like how the Bible doesn't say if he's married or not. I like how the Bible doesn't mention his race or his nationality. It just says that here's a man who found a treasure. And when he recognized that he found a treasure, he evaluated it. He knew it was of great worth. And he, he made up in his mind, I'm going to hide this treasure. He was protecting what he had found from others just coming and squandering the loot. He hid the treasure because he said in his heart, this is worth everything I've ever lived for. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to keep it safe. I'm going to watch over this treasure. And so the Bible says he hid the treasure. And the next part is very interesting. The scripture adds the words, and for joy thereof. He goeth and he selleth all he hath all he hath we don't know how much he had we don't know how little he had but whatever he did own the bible says he sold everything he sold everything maybe it was camels and horses and chariots maybe he owned land himself maybe he had a family Maybe he sold garments, every garment that he owned. and He sold his home. He sold the farm. Whatever it was, the Bible says he sold everything that he had because he knew where this treasure was and he knew how impacting it would be to his life. And all his mind could think of day in and day out was, I've got to have this treasure this treasure is going to keep me. It's going to save me. It's going to help me. It's worth everything. No questions asked. Then he, will, he, he winds up going out and buying the field. Again, no description of the field. Was it a plush vineyard? Was it flat? Was it good for agriculture? 
Was it rocky or was it stony? Was it, was it just not good for any kind of use for cattle or for livestock? It didn't matter to this man because where that treasure lied, he was going to buy everything it was associated with. He was going to take all of his earnings, everything that he had sold, and he was going to buy that field, and he was going to get this treasure. He made it up in his mind, I'm going to buy the field. Have you bought the field today? Have you given everything for this treasure? Have you made up in your mind that this is the best thing I'm living for, is this treasure? This treasure is worth everything I own. It doesn't matter I'm not having another conversation with somebody because I found the treasure and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to protect it and I'm going to make it my own and I'm going to take ownership and I'm going to take ownership of the field and I'm going to pay taxes on this field and I'm going to maintain this field because inside of this, this is this treasure that's going to change me. The Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This treasure isn't something that we can make. This treasure isn't something that the world can give. This treasure isn't something that you can just concoct and dream up. This isn't like living in billion-dollar homes and driving Mercedes-Benz and the most luxurious sports cars and going all over the world in jet planes. This treasure is more impacting than that. Hallelujah. If the world would have known him, they would not have crucified the king of glory. I'm thankful to be an apostolic. What makes us peculiar is we sell out. We sell out our lifestyle. We sell out our everything we've ever done, our past, and we say we're buying the field and we're keeping this treasure. Hallelujah. We have something to be excited about. Hallelujah. We have something that will change your life and give you happiness and give you hope and give you peace, give you a new perspective and give you a future. And that is this treasure that we found in a field. Somebody clap your hands if you're thankful. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The treasure brings life. It brings hope. It brings joy and protection. It brings peace. I don't know if you've watched any kind of news media today or listened to the radio, but there's not much hope out there. And there's not much peace out there. And I would say that if you listen to it long enough, you will get bogged down and you'll be living in the moly groves. But if you pick up this book right here, this media that has withstood the 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 the, the, the the ages of time, if you pick this up and delve into this, I can tell you, you will find peace and you will find hope. You will find a treasure. You will find something that's worth telling your children about, talking to your neighbor about, going and witnessing to somebody about this treasure that we have. Hallelujah. You won't find it anywhere else but the house of God and in the word of God. Praise God. Put your hands together and worship him. Amen. question is, is are you willing to sell? Are you willing to sell everything that you have? This really is the question. The Holy Ghost is a free gift. There's no respecter of persons when it comes to the Holy Ghost. It's a free gift. It's a promise, the Bible says. I think the bigger question within the mind of a person is, are you willing to sell out? 
Are you willing to give everything to this precious treasure? Are you willing to give up all your heartaches and your woes? Or are you willing to give up all your good times and all the friends that you have that are worldly? Are you willing to give it up? It is the best thing. There's no better thing than this treasure. If I could tell a young person today something, it would be there's nothing this world can give you. Everything under the sun is just vanity. But what will stand forever is the word of God and this treasure we have, which is called the Holy Ghost. If I were you, I'd start putting some stock into some Bible reading, into some scripture memorization, into some witnessing, into telling somebody about how good Jesus is. Because when you die, baby, you ain't taking nothing, not even the clothes on your back. What you're going to have in you, though, is a treasure. And when you you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm telling you, if you want to serve something today, serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how good you are at sports. I don't care how good you are at online shopping. I don't care what kind of possessions you have. I don't care how good of a hunter you are. I don't care what you're good at. You should be good at being a servant for the kingdom of God. What we need today is some servants in the house of God. <laughs> the harvest is, is ready, but the laborers are few. Where are the laborers? Where are those that are saying, this field is ready, and I'm ready to purchase it. I'm going to go out with the sickle, and I'm going to reap a harvest for the Lord because there's a treasure that I have, and there's a treasure that I can share. Hallelujah. The, the best thing that we could be today in the house of God is a servant willing to buy the treasure. I know. I like how the Bible leaves it up to our interpretation of how or what kind of man it was that was in the field. The first thing I do is relate it to myself. If I had to sell everything, what does that mean? And most of it's just materialistic stuff. You know, I have collections. I have some tools. Brother Greg, you have some tools. Can you imagine selling that entire shop? Can you imagine just selling everything that you have? That's just material things. But let me tell you, there's other things that you need to sell out on. Because you cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. There are some lifestyles that you have to sell or give back. Even if you get nothing in return, just sell it. Get rid of it. Put a free sign on it and set it up on the curve. Set it up on offer up. Say, come pick this up. I ain't living that way anymore. I'm getting that out of my house. I'm getting that out of my lifestyle. I'm taking that away from my children's hands. I'm putting this back into my house. I found a treasure in a field, and I'm selling everything. I'm changing my life. It's going to take care of me. It's going to take care of my family. Hallelujah. 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 Don't be like, don't be like the young rich ruler who was a good person, who had done all the commandments he told Jesus from his youth up. He honored the father and mother. He, he did everything that the commandments required of him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And I'm not trying to get you today to sell everything that you have Unless it's keeping you from God. In this case, this is what was keeping the rich young ruler from serving God was his possessions. Because the Bible says he went away sad 
at that saying because he had many possessions. And because of that, he lost out on eternal life. Unless he found redemption down the road sometime later, at that moment, if that's how his encounter with Jesus ends, he lost out because he did not sell everything that he had that was keeping him in line with the master. Don't be like the young rich ruler. Be like Simon and Andrew who one day were in the boat and Jesus walked by and he said, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible doesn't even tell. It just says it like this in the book of Mark. It says, and straightway they forsook their nets and followed Jesus in the way. There was no questions asked. They're like, okay, all right, well, I'm not fishing today, even though this is how I get money. This is my paycheck. Uh, Jesus just walked by, and he said he's going to make me a fisher of men. That's the treasure. That's what I'm seeking after. I want to be what he wants me to be. Or you could be like the others. You could be like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who also were mending their nets in the boat in the same day. Jesus walks by and he says, come after me. And they left their father Zebedee and they left all the hired servants. Looks like they had a little empire there going because they had, they had a big family business. And, and when Jesus walked by, the family business didn't matter anymore. All of that just took second place because they had just saw a treasure. And it was willing, they were willing to give everything they had to follow Jesus in the way. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, he is that important. He is that important. Hallelujah. He is that valuable. He does mean that much to me. Hallelujah. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him in the straight and narrow way. I'm going to forsake everything and I'm going to follow him. That's the attitude of somebody that's going to make it. Somebody says, no matter what slip up I have, no matter what failures in my life, I'm going to get up, I'm going to look forward, I'm going to put that stuff behind me, and I'm just going to keep trying, and I'm going to follow the master. Hallelujah. Oh, worship him for a moment. He is in this place. Hallelujah. 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 They left their co-workers. They left their jobs. They left their families because they knew it stood between them and this treasure. They had to forsake it. They had to forsake it. There are great testimonies in this church of those that have forsaken much because they have found a treasure. And oh, how the blessings of God have been upon them. And even though at first it doesn't look like to the world a wise choice, oh, they don't know the treasure. They don't know the value. They don't know what we have. Hallelujah. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, a king of Israel who had everything. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Oh, that this house of God would be that precious to us every time the doors are open. I want to be here because when we meet, where two or three are gathered together, he is in this place. And I'll tell you this, even when it's just you and you're in the well alone, God is in this place. He's an omnipresent God. He's an omniscient God. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be next to that treasure. Speaking of our pilgrimage to Israel, it was a fantastic time. I would do it over again in a heartbeat. One of the first places we visited 
was the town of Capernaum, which is by the seaside of Galilee. This is what they call the town of Jesus. He spent a lot of his early ministry there. The actual synagogue that he taught in is still there. It's been, of course, burned and and trodden upon and broken in pieces, but it's still there. The original road to that synagogue is chained off, so people won't walk on it. But it's a good swath about from me to the door, uh, to the foyer back there. And it's a, it's a road that Jesus, you can see the layers of civilization and the original road where Jesus would have walked many times in that small fishing town of Capernaum to teach. Maybe he was talking to Peter. And if you could throw my first picture up, just a stone's throw from the front entrance of the the synagogue is what they believe firmly to be the house of Peter. And that inner circle right there is is the main part of the house. And, of course, it's leveled down. The city was destroyed in the early ages. Um, So this is what it looked like before they built a Catholic church on top of it. And you can show my next picture um, of that. So underneath that, So that second story you see right there is actually a glass floor in the center that when you're standing, you can look down and you can see the the remnants of what they feel very strongly as Peter's house. And um, what an important building if that really is the place of Peter's house. I want to read to you a story in the book of Mark chapter number two. The Bible says, and again, He entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised abroad that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh... Unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, which would have been tree branches, probably covered by cement, uh, some type of mud cement that they had made. So they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said first unto the sick of the palsy, he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, And take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately the sick of a palsy arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never saw it on this matter. We've never saw it 
on this matter. The whole just of that story is Jesus was in the house. Jesus was in the field. The treasure was present. And there was one who could not walk. And there was one that there would be no uh, physical way that he could make it into that little house where Jesus was teaching on his own. There were some obstacles in that sick of the palsy man's way. So he decided to get some of his closest friends that knew how to help him the best. And they overcame an obstacle that day because Jesus was there and there was a need. They overcame an obstacle that was great. They had to get on top of the house. They had to pull this palsy on top of the house and pull apart. It took some work to get to where Jesus was. But oh, how, how, how great it was to get to where Jesus was. What a miracle that took place once the palsy was lowered to where he was. Other people, you don't need to be worried about what other people are doing or how they may be living their own life, getting their own blessing, thronging Jesus at the door. You may think that the master does not have room for you, but I'm going to tell you the opposite. God is very interested in you. God wants to do something great for you. He has you at the forefront of his mind, and he wants to bless you. The real question is, is are you wanting him to bless you? Are you willing to sell out? What are you willing? to do to get to this treasure are you really wanting the love of God to bless you hallelujah let me tell you something the greatest gift that God can ever give is the Holy Ghost the greatest gift that he can ever give you or I is his spirit living within us but the greatest miracle was shown that day and that's the miracle of mercy God looked at this man we don't even know what kind of sinner he was he bought a who knows what kind of sinner he was but Jesus said son Thy sins be forgiven thee. I'm thankful for a God of mercy. There's no greater miracle than mercy. And you won't find that anywhere except this treasure that I'm talking to you about. This treasure is able to forgive you of all your sins and to keep you from falling. There's nothing that can do that but the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what the world needs today? They need the blood applied to their life. They need to find mercy. They need to search out a treasure. They need to go to where Jesus is. They need to do everything that they can possible to get to the master. Thank God for a great church with air conditioning. It's going to be 104 plus today, but here we are in the house of God. We don't have to climb on the roof. We don't have to tear through the tile or the sheetrock. We can just come into this place and lift our hands. Hallelujah. And the treasure's here. If you need mercy today, let me tell you about a promise called the Holy Ghost that you can get and he will forgive you of all your sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Someone clap your hands and give him some praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. I won't be much longer. And musicians, you can prepare, please. Pontius Pilate had this treasure at his hands. And I feel somewhat sorry for him at the beginning, but not totally, because he had the authority. But it seems as though Pilate was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to find out what this man was guilty of. Mark says in the book of Mark that Pilate asks him, Art thou the king of the Jews? 
And this is one of the only time the only time Jesus speaks to him. Mark only records these words of Jesus. He responds to Pilate and he says, "Thou sayest it." You can turn to the book of John, chapter 18, beginning at verse 33, and it reads in this way. It says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate had a treasure. Jesus' whole ministry was about salvation. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. One scripture says that he's the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. It's usually the other way around. The sheep are feeding the shepherd, but no. The good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. He came that we might have life, and that more abundantly. He came to give light, to be the light of the world. He came to be a treasure. He came that you might find him one day and make a decision in your mind. But this is the best thing I've ever encountered. I have found something. The world doesn't have it. We apostolics have it. Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. Those that know what it is, they don't consider it a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice to rush to church today and fight traffic and worry about the Rona. That wasn't a sacrifice. It wasn't a sacrifice to come to the house of God and worship Him. That's the lifting of my hands be the evening sacrifice. That's all I have to do. That's all I have to do right here. This is a sacrifice. This is all you want from me. The real sacrifice was at Calvary. When one who was ridiculed, all he wanted... All he wanted was to know what people thought of him. He said to Peter, he said, Whom do men say that I am? What do they think of me? He wanted to hear what people were saying. Oh, some said you're Jeremiah. Some said you're a prophet. Some said you're Isaiah. 
he turned to Peter, he said, but who do you say I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the one who's coming to redeem me, the one who's shedding his blood for me. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, upon this truth, upon this rock, I will build my church, that he is the Christ. He is the treasure. He is the one we're seeking after today. Hallelujah. Don't be like Jesus' family. He goes back. He goes back and he's teaching in the synagogue and his family and friends are there. Those that are familiar with him the most. Those that knew all about him, his family. They said, is this, is this not the son of a carpenter? Is his mother Mary not in this room with us? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? We know this guy. He's nobody. He's not that special. The Bible records that Jesus could there do no mighty work. He couldn't do a great work there except heal a few folk because of the doubt and the unbelief of how great and powerful he is. Jesus is the treasure today. And I'm closing with this as we stand together. Jesus is the treasure today. Everything I've done up to this point is to instill within your mind that we have something so valuable and so precious. Why do people come to the altars and pray? Why do people pour out their heart unto God? Because this treasure can change their life. It can take them out of torment. It can take them out of drug abuse. It can remove them from any kind of abuse. That's what's so special about the Holy Ghost. And I'm here today to declare that you can receive a treasure today. You can make a commitment today as we sing this song of praise. I ask you, where is your heart? I ask you, have you sold out today? Is the treasure worth it to you? Is the treasure worth it to you? What have you sacrificed? What have you given that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords may be a part of your life? Hallelujah. Have you fallen in love with him today? He is a treasure. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm buying into it. 